First Peter 5, beginning in the fifth verse, Peter says, Likewise, you younger people, submit yourselves to your elders. Yes, all of you be submissive to one another and be clothed with humility. God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon him, for he cares for you. And Father, we ask that you would help us, even in this hour, to be able to just have a humble heart before you, that would be receptive, that would believe that you, as the living God, have something that is important for us to hear. And that, Lord, our attention is essential and critical to you. That, Lord, there are things that you want to say that we need to hear. And so we pray that you would use your word this morning by its spirit and power in our midst to speak to us personally and directly, that you'd bless your word. Prepare our hearts to receive, Lord. We pray, Lord, that you would hold our attention to what the voice of God would be saying to us. And bless your word as it goes forth this morning, we ask in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. You may be seated. You know, what is it this morning that you find yourself currently struggling with? And as you think about that thought of what you may be struggling with, I would ask with that, could it be possible that your own pride could potentially be the thing that's standing in the way? And could it actually be possible that part of the challenge itself is maybe even your unwillingness to surrender or to submit in some capacity in relation to that? I can tell you this from my own personal experience and just by way of observation among human beings and what the Word of God says, that two very clear defining marks of our sinful nature are these very words, rebellion and pride. You can find that from the Garden of Eden, from the first time you open your Bible in the first few chapters, that the propensity in our natural condition, our sinful nature, is to be proud and it is to be rebellious, whether that's against God or anything else. And because those are defining marks of our sin nature, rebellion and pride, as people we tend to fight against and many times resist what God is doing. And the unfortunate thing is we only do that to our own harm. Now, in relation to that, I would then say this as we begin this study this morning, probably two of the most valuable qualities that any person can possess or any person can practice are then submission and humility. Submission and humility are probably two of the most wonderful virtues that you can possess and seek to practice. And they are what God expects of us. We see that in our text here. And humility and submission is also what God honors when it is present in our lives. The text in front of us indicates that as well. This morning, our passage gives us basically helpful instruction regarding the importance of humility and submission. 
And it kind of comes on the heels, remember, the prior section of what Peter was just addressing in verses 1 through 4 as he began chapter 5 was he was addressing the spiritual leaders among the local congregations there in Asia Minor, how to handle their leadership role, how to operate in their responsibility of serving as elders and pastors and overseers among God's flock. He used that term to describe the leaders, the term elder there, and we said last week that term basically refers to the spiritually mature man of solid Christian conduct, the spiritually mature man who is called an elder. And that became a term in essence in the New Testament as you study it. It basically became a term to sort of define or to indicate those who had a leadership office among the church, uh, a role of spiritual oversight who would shepherd the flock of God as kind of under shepherds, under the great shepherd himself, the Lord Jesus Christ. And Peter was exhorting then the elders, the leaders in the churches to properly serve the flock of God. He was telling them to faithfully provide quality leadership. He gave them instruction regarding it. And he told them to do this until the chief shepherd himself, Jesus Christ returns and rewards them for their work. Now it's at that point he now sort of, it seems his mind turns to the other side, if you would, the other side of of the uh, spectrum, and he now begins to address how people, the general congregants, the flock itself, would respond to God's authority operating among their lives. He says in verse 5, likewise, if you draw your attention to verse 5, likewise, he says, you younger people submit yourself to your elders. Now, Peter's instructing here that those younger would submit themselves to those older or to those who are more mature. When he uses that term younger there, it refers, when you look at the term, to those who are newer or you could say not as far along. Uh, It's a term that would describe those who would be less mature or less developed than others among them. So as Peter uses that term younger there, it can be used as a reference to one's age chronologically, that if someone is younger in age or years than others among them. It could also possibly just be a reference to those who are less mature spiritually, younger in the faith those who are not as far along in their walk with Jesus or maybe less mature spiritually, both of those ideas would fit and both honestly make total and complete sense. When he uses the term elder here in verse 5, it could still be very likely a direct reference to what he was just talking about in verses 1 through 4 as he was addressing the officers of the church, the elders in the sense of a designated office of leadership and that position as a church leader. But given the context and what he's saying in conjunction with it in verse 5 there, uh, with younger people, it's very likely that what he is indicating here is not necessarily the office, but possibly maybe more a reference of using the term elder in regards to one's uh, age or so forth. Is Again, if we can illustrate in our minds, we might refer to In family relationships, say, uh, who is your eldest son? Or that is, he's the elder brother. Or we even use the term in our culture, an elderly person. And we understand what that refers to, someone who is older in years by way of age. So it could refer to someone older chronologically via their age. Or again, it could be a reference, the elder, to someone who is an elder spiritually, not necessarily in the office, 
but in a sense, those also who are just older in the Lord, they've been following Jesus longer, they're more mature spiritually and further along in their relationship with him. The direct command, no matter which way you want to interpret that, is that the younger person is to submit themselves to the older. And the word submit uh, very clearly refers to yielding yourself as to another person being in charge and recognizing this person should have authority over me and it's deferring to them by way of recognizing they have a higher rank. Uh, and sort of being respectful of that. It involves listening to what's being said to that individual because you have a sense of, hey, uh, they have greater experience, they have more maturity, and therefore uh, they have a sense of authority, and it's kind of obeying their direction and giving in to their control over your over their life in a sense. So uh, even as leaders, Peter was saying in verses 1 through 4, even as the leader should lead responsibly, and he said not lording it over by way of controlling with authority in an unhealthy way, he said that to the leader, that they should lead responsibly. He's saying now in verse 5, likewise, those who are under potentially the leadership of, of, of others in any capacity, they should, with a submissive spirit, respond by being followers who are cooperatively following the leadership of those by way of the authority that God has put in their life. So again, no matter how you identify who the younger indicates or who the elder indicates, really the same principle applies because the Bible gives the same instruction throughout the word of God regarding these things. For example, the Bible teaches, as we saw last week, that God does appoint within the local church overseers, elders, pastors, those who, who are, in a sense, more mature spiritually, and God designates then that person to have an office to serve the people of God, to help the flock, those who are less mature spiritually to develop, to provide oversight for them. And for those who are not as far along spiritually, who are younger in the Lord, the Bible teaches very clearly that they should be submissive to the role of those who are the elders and overseers and pastoral figures. First Thessalonians 5.12 says, Recognize those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord. Hebrews 13.17 declares this. It says, Obey those who rule over you. And be submissive, for they watch out for your souls as those who must give account. Let them do so with joy and not with grief. So if you want to interpret that by way of it's a reference still to the elder in the leadership position, then the Bible is saying, yes, absolutely. In the same way the leader should lead responsibly, he's saying the flock, the congregation, that there should be a cooperative, submissive spirit in following the leadership that God's established, recognizing this is part of God's authority over our lives to help us to develop, to mature, and to grow. Now, the Bible also teaches, very simply, that those younger in age chronologically, that is, those simply younger in years in comparison to those who are older in years, that the younger in age chronologically should also demonstrate respect and should honor those who are older than them. Uh, specifically, we're told in the Bible that we are to honor our mother and father. The principle applies. We're told that children are to obey their parents, to be submissive to their authority. And even in a general sense, by way of principle, Leviticus 19.32, God says this. Listen to what it says. It says, you shall rise before the gray-headed 
and honor the presence of an old man and fear your God, I am the Lord. So God, even in his way of relating to one another, says that there should be a reverence given to those who are older than us in age. He says here among Israel that they were to rise before the gray-headed. The idea was out of respect. It was a sense of reverence, of honoring them among the culture, among the congregation, and giving them the honor that they were due regarding who they were and the stage that they were in. And I would just say this as well. I think likewise, the same thing should apply spiritually. I think that it is very wise for those who are younger in the Lord, a new convert, someone who is less mature spiritually, to give respectful, listen, respectful consideration to the counsel and to the example and to the wisdom of those who are older than you in the Lord. I think you are a wise person, and all of us have those individuals in our life. I do in my life, those who are further along in their walk and relationship with Jesus. I look up to other pastoral figures who have more experience in the journey, and not because I have to, but because I recognize the wisdom of deferring to their counsel, submitting to their authority, not because they're forcing me to, but because I realize it's wise for me to, to acknowledge that if they have counsel and input from a pastoral perspective, they're further in the journey. It's wise for me to say, you know what? Uh, there's probably some wisdom in what you're saying, and it'd be wise for me to defer to that on occasion, to submit to it, to be responsive to it. In the same way, I would encourage you, if there are those in your life who you realize, hey, they've been walking, Walking with Jesus longer, they've been following the Lord, they have a level of maturity that's greater. It is a really wise thing for you to defer, in a sense, to the authority and to the wisdom that they have when they offer input or counsel on occasion because it will benefit you greatly. Proverbs 13.20 says, He who walks with wise men will grow wise. Uh, and I think it's a, just a, a smart and wise principle. And what Peter's addressing here, this whole issue of the younger submitting to the older, <clears throat> is really just counteracting something that God knows is already present in our human existence and in our interaction. Again, the Spirit of God is putting these words into Peter's mouth. And what God understands this is there is a common struggle that comes along with youthfulness and immaturity. And whether that's, again, in age chronologically or whether it's just in spiritual immaturity or, or a lack of spiritual development, there's a common struggle with youthfulness and immaturity, and that is this. Usually in immaturity and youthfulness, there's a very idealistic attitude that tends to think that you just know what's best. And, and, and we see this. If you've raised children, you see this. If you relate to those, and I'm not trying to be stereotypical here, but a lot of times, I, you know, by way of observation, I'm raising kids as well. You know, this seems to become real prevalent around the junior high age, and there's kind of that, listen, I know best, I know better, and you know, typically this becomes a very common thing where I don't need to hear what you have to say. I know, I know best, and there's just a very idealistic type attitude that seems to be a very common tendency among youthfulness and among youth and among immaturity. And that applies both naturally 
as well as I see the same thing at times, a lot of times spiritually. Somebody's a brand new Christian, they're very zealous, they're excited, but at the same time, uh, you know, they tend to wrestle a little bit in the areas sometimes of humility, and, and God has to knock a little wind out of their sails a little bit before they really begin to become tempered. And what God is doing here is saying, listen, be careful of an arrogance that can be born out of youthfulness or out of an immaturity, an arrogance whereby uh, you can become resistant to the input of others. And you can kind of just, you know, you want to disregard the counsel of anyone. I don't need the counsel of anyone else. I, and and he, God says, be careful of that. Because many times that's a, a mark of youthfulness. And it's, a, it's an indication of even immaturity. The Bible is reminding us that those that are further beyond us, they actually do have something to offer. Imagine that. They actually do have some wisdom because they've experienced a little more. They've journeyed a little further. They've gone through the things of life, whether it's in just natural existence and survival mode or whether it's spiritual life and the experiences of walking with the Lord. And their input and counsel and ideas can actually protect us on occasion. And it can actually benefit you and help you in your own walk with the Lord. So he gives that exhortation there, the younger Submit yourselves, defer, he says, to those who are older. Listen to what they have to say. Now, before the older and mature say, yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's right. They should listen to us and they should submit to us. Peter says, oh, let's keep it in balance. He says, verse 5, next, yes, all of you be submissive to one another and be clothed with humility. So before they can get anything out of balance, God reminds here that we all, he says, let all of you, he says, be submissive one to another. So God here is reminding that all of us should have a mutually submissive spirit among each other in the way that we relate and interact to each other. That there should sort of be a mutually submissive attitude, sort of just generally, the idea being to submit ourselves to one another. The idea is saying no to the self-life. Saying no to the selfish drive within you and yielding at times to another person's preference. To submit to another person, to defer to their desire, to yield to their wish or their preference, to let someone else be in control instead of always needing to have your way or instead of always needing to get what you want in things, again, whether that's in a family situation and you're trying to decide what you're going to do or you know, who's going to get to do something first and who, or, or whether it's in your workplace or in your school system or among the body of Christ, he's saying, listen, th there's a time to just say no to yourself. And yes, maybe you have a desire, maybe you have a preference, but it's okay sometimes to just tell yourself no. And to not give in to what you want. And to not go after what you want. In a sense to say, hey, how can I instead of, of promoting what I want, in a sense look for a way to please what the other person wants in a situation. And this is the idea of this sort of just submissive spirit. Rather than pushing and promoting your preference or demanding your rights, instead giving in to the idea of someone else yielding to the uh, maybe the preference of someone else and what's best for them, surrendering our selfishness. You know, I think this is a great exhortation here to be submissive to one another, to ask ourselves hard questions. Hard questions like, honestly, be real with yourself. Do you find it on occasion difficult 
to be cooperative when you're interacting with other people? Do you find sometimes having a cooperative attitude is a challenge for you? Do you get defensive real easy? Do you find that you are quick to get resistant and defensive if things aren't going the way you want? Or you're not getting your preference? Or do you find on occasion that you struggle with maybe being submissive and, and needing to always be the one in control? Or the one taking control so that then you're more comfortable because now you're in control? Do you find yourself wrestling with kind of maybe always being the type of personality where you're always bucking the system? And you always got to fight the system to make sure somehow uh, you can get your way rather than letting things go in a way that's not the, the, the preferred manner of what you want. I would remind you this. Ephesians chapter 5 declares those the exact same truth. And there in Ephesians 5, we're actually told that being submissive is actually a mark of the spirit-filled life. In Ephesians chapter 5, Paul there declares, be filled with the Holy Spirit. The idea is, is be filled with the Spirit in the sense of let your life be under the influence of the Holy Spirit. And then he begins to describe what that will look like. That when a person's life is under the influence of the Spirit, what will that provide? And one of the first things he says there is submitting to one another in the fear of God. See, I point this out this morning to remind us of this. A mark of the Spirit-filled life is a submissive attitude. The Bible is telling us that when we, are, in a sense, are under the influence of the Spirit, it will produce a submissive attitude in us. It will make a change in our temperament because by nature, our sinful tendency is to have a rebellious attitude to have a selfish attitude, to have a proud and arrogant attitude. And the Bible says when a person is filled with the Spirit, a mark of the Spirit-filled life, and we like to find all these other defining things of what we think a Spirit-filled life is. Oh, somebody's really filled with the Spirit. They're, you know, they're, they're real this and that, or you know, they get real passionate and excited, or they, they can pray in tongues, or they can you know, do supernatural things. God says, you know what? If somebody's filled with the Spirit, they'll be humble, They'll be submissive. There'll be something in them because the love of God, which is the fruit of the Spirit, will make them be thinking of others instead of themselves. It will make them say, how can I benefit others in this situation? How can I be sensitive to others in this situation? How can I serve others in this situation? God says, do you want to see a Spirit-filled life? He says, look for someone who, like a strong horse that sometimes needs to be broken so that it can be used for its intended purpose. He says, look for someone with a submissive spirit, someone who can be cooperative and, and, and submit in ways to God and to what's going on. And he says, that is an indication many times of a spirit-filled life. What a beautiful, beautiful reminder. You know, I tell you, it is, <laughs> look, it is much easier for me to go back in my bedroom and get on my knees and, 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 and pray in tongues than it is for me to get up from the dinner table and say, sweetheart, how about I wash the dishes tonight? Do you see what I'm saying? It's much easier for me. But to deny myself, to submit myself to another and to yield myself on occasion to have a submissive spirit whereby I seek to serve and defer to others around me, that's much more difficult. It takes way more of the Holy Spirit in me to be a servant and to do those things than it does many times to do the other things that we want to 
elevate above. In fact, I think that's why here in verse 5 that, that the Bible couples together this idea of clothing yourself with humility in connection to being submissive to one another. Because what it's doing there is giving us a practical way to be submissive. Well, how, how do I be submissive to one another? Well, the Bible says, let me give you a practical way. Clothe yourself with humility. And when you look at the term there that Peter uses, clothe yourself, it's a verb that speaks of tying on an apron. The picture there, the word picture, is putting on an apron of a household servant or a household slave. Now, I can't help but to think that probably what Peter's thinking about at this moment is what? John chapter 13, where he watched Jesus, the greatest of all, in the midst of a dinner that night, remember, get up from dinner, and he did what? He put on, in a sense, the servant's apron. He took a towel and he wrapped it around his waist and he then began to wash the dirty feet of all the disciples that were in that room. And what did Jesus do? He clothed himself with humility in the sense that he took on the practical role of a humble form of service to do what he could to meet the need that was right in front of everybody that nobody else was interested in meeting. He took the lowest form of service, he recognized something that needed to be addressed, and without drawing attention to himself, he didn't say, dun, 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 let me teach you how to be servants. He didn't say that. He didn't say, let me talk to you about love and give a lecture on love. Jesus just quietly got up. He didn't mention anything. He didn't say, why are you guys washing feet? I'm God, shouldn't you be doing that? He didn't do any of that. He just quietly got up from what he was doing. He saw a need and in love and humble servitude, he began to address that need and to do the thing that he saw needed to be done. And the purpose of it was all what? To submit to the others in the midst and to bless people and to just serve people and to help people. And it was a way in sense he was clothing himself with humility and Jesus then, remember, was teaching in John 13. And I encourage you, maybe go back in relation to this and read through it in connection this afternoon or tomorrow how Jesus was teaching that greatness in the kingdom is arrived at by humble servitude, by serving others and denying ourselves to help and to bless others. You know, by way of application, this week, how can you clothe yourself with humility? This week, how can you find practical ways to put on a humble servant's role among others around you? Maybe in your home life. Look, as you're in your household, are there ways that you can find to try and clothe yourself with humility? On occasion, say, how can I do something to be a humble servant? To bless my spouse or uh, you know, to, to help out my parents or, or to, to help out my children? I think a lot of times we as parents even want to you know, tell our kids, you need to do this, you need to do that. Sometimes as a parent, is there anything wrong with us potentially actually humbling ourselves to serve our children and to do something that we think may be their duty, but in a sense humbling ourselves as a way of an example or to even serve them in the love of Christ? It's an opportunity. In your job place, in your interactions, among the body of Christ, how can you take practical roles of servanthood to clothe yourself with humility to do this? Well, Peter states the reasoning that we should forsake pride and have a submissive attitude. As he goes on in verse 5, he says the reason for all of this, submission and clothing yourself with humility, he says verse 5, it's because God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. So he quotes a truth from Proverbs chapter 3 
of how God relates to us according to the condition and the attitude of our heart. He says here that God resists the proud. And the word proud simply means to see yourself too highly. It indicates to, to have a greater view of yourself than you should. To have an inflated idea about yourself. And of course, being proud leads to things like being arrogant, being self-promoting in the way you talk about yourself or you're always kind of advertising yourself and what you can do. Being proud leads to things like being self-willed, being stubborn, being rebellious, self-sufficient, self-reliant. And the Bible teaches that God hates pride. Hates pride. That's a pretty strong word, but the Bible says that, that God actually hates pride. That's why we read here, it says that God resists the proud. And that word that Peter uses, resist, literally is a military term. It literally means to stand up against in battle array. Now, that's a pretty strong term, would you agree? <laughs> that that's God's response to our hearts when we're acting prideful or when we're proud in our heart, it forces God to respond to us in resistance. Not only does God hold us back, the idea is that God actually pushes us backwards. The reason being is that God doesn't want us to make progress in a wrong direction. And God knows that pride is a self-destructive path. It's what destroyed Satan. It's what destroyed Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. So when God sees pride present in my heart in any of its insidious forms... God doesn't just hold me back. God starts pushing me back and actually working against me. He, in a sense, he takes up battle armament and he begins to push me backwards in a way in my life whereby he's trying to keep me from the wrong direction I'm growing in because a proud person is a self-reliant person. And the one who is proud is not depending on God, which is the whole purpose of our existence, to live in dependence upon God. And when we're proud, we're doing the exact opposite of that. So God not only refuses to give us assistance in those times, but he actually takes a stand against us, the Bible says. And he works in resistance and opposition to us, wanting us to see that what we're doing is unhealthy and wrong. And we can become proud, is it not true, in so many different ways. I mean, the, the, the sin of pride is, is, is the mother of all sins, and it can manifest itself in such various ways in our lives. We can be proud regarding some sin or struggle in our life. And we don't want to acknowledge the struggle with our sin. And we can become prideful and continue to persist in a path and never deal with some sin or disobedient behavior in our life. We can become proud, again, by maybe a relationship situation. Maybe there's difficulty in a relationship and we can have pride in our hearts when we at times in a relationship difficulty kind of stubbornly hold our ground and we dig in our heels. Or maybe it's any situation where we just refuse to be wrong and we're not going to give in and we're not going to somehow surrender our ground or maybe you just can't let go of something. You've got to keep hanging on to it and you just can't let go of something. We can become proud when we just have an overinflated view of how wonderful and, 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 and great we really think that we are. And as a result then, what pride begins to do when we have a high view of ourselves is in a sense we become our own billboard. Somehow we're always talking about ourselves, and we're always speaking about what we've done or what we're doing. And, and sometimes it's very, I think sometimes it's something where we're not even conscious of the fact that we're doing, but what we're doing is we're just, we're always advertising ourselves. Hey, I'm doing this, I'm doing that, I'm doing this, I'm doing that, I'm doing this, I'm doing that. And, and in a sense, we're, wow, wow, wow. 
wow, would you do some stuff for us? Because you're, and we can begin to just advertise ourselves. And in a sense, God says, be careful of that. It, it, it's just another way of pride manifesting itself in our lives. So whether it's fighting against some circumstance or, I'll tell you another way, many times I can be proud, we can be proud, is we refuse help. Listen, I don't care who you are. Everybody needs help sometimes. Everybody needs help sometimes. And one of the greatest but often overlooked forms of pride is just a self-reliant spirit and an independent attitude of refusing to take help when we genuinely need it. And many ways we're just not submitting to God's will in that area and we're refusing to surrender or to give up. And in such instances, it says that our pride will cause God to resist us, to actually resist us. His all-powerful hand actually is extended against us. And you can run as hard as you want and make a big dust cloud. And his hands are going to stay on your forehead in opposition and resistance and withhold his grace and his blessings because he's battling against us because he wants us to recognize the error of our way. And I don't know about you, but I don't want God to resist my life. I got enough problems already. <laughs> I don't need God fighting against me. I don't need God opposing my path personally. And my estimation would be he's quite a bit stronger than me. So if I try and wrestle him, he's probably going to win the match. He's stronger than me. It's not going to succeed in the end. That's why he says, look, God resists the proud. But here's the other side of it. it says, but God gives grace, he says, to the humble. The humble is the person with a proper view of themselves, not a low view of themselves. Oh, I'm so horrible, I'm so horrible, I'm so horrible. Look, that's a, that's a backwards form of pride of, no, you're really great, man. That's called fishing for compliments. The humble person just has a proper view of themselves. They're not self-degrading, self-pity. They just have a proper view of themselves. They live in dependence upon God. And he says the person who is humble is the one who will be a recipient of God's grace, which is a word for God's favor, God's blessing, his assistance and provision in whatever way we need his help, God gives grace to the humble. When a person is humble, the hand of God goes from being like this to being like this. Quick change. When we're proud, God says, mm -mm, we're not, that's not going to happen. But when our heart becomes humbled before the Lord, when we have a humble attitude, then the hand of God is open, it says, to give grace he actually is supplying grace. He is offering to us his favor, his help, his assistance, because humility prompts God's favor. Kind of like a magnet, the humble heart attracts the grace of God. It attracts the grace of God. You know, it's been said before, humility is the bucket that draws forth the grace of God from the well of his provision. Humility is like the bucket that you lower down into the well of God's provision and grace and you can reel up through humility the blessing and the help and the favor of God because we then become prepared to be a recipient of his grace. In light of that, I would say this this morning as we apply it to our own lives. When you fail, when you sin, when you make a mistake like we all do, can I encourage you? Be honest, be humble, and just admit it. Because the sooner you do that, the sooner you'll find grace for your failure. In your life, if you're struggling this morning in some way, whatever way you're struggling, maybe you're struggling 
personally. Maybe you're struggling emotionally. Maybe you're struggling maritally. Maybe you're struggling financially. Maybe you're struggling spiritually. In whatever way you're struggling, can I encourage you? Be honest and humble yourself and admit it. Admit you're struggling. Because when you humbly admit it, then you open the floodgates of God's grace to be able to come into your situation to begin to provide the assistance that you need. Are you here this morning and maybe God's calling you to do something and he's putting something on your heart, but you're concerned about your own inadequacy? That's okay. Because as you recognize your own inadequacy and humbleness before God, that will be the very thing that makes you a magnetic attractive person for the grace and favor of God to be upon your life to give you the adequacy that he can supply. Peter says, verse 6, Therefore, in light of these things, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God. Notice that he may, it says, exalt you in due time. So in light of how God relates to us according to our heart condition, Peter says, opposing the proud, resisting the proud, giving grace to the humble. In light of that, he says, we should take initiative to seek and desire humility. He says, therefore, in light of that, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God. And the the term there is in the passive sense. It literally could be better translated, be humbled, or maybe even more closely, we would say, allow yourself to be humbled under the mighty hand of God. That's the indication of the language there. Allow yourself to be humbled under the mighty hand of God. And the way that often takes place is through situations and circumstances as God's hand is orchestrating things in our lives as he superintends over every one of our lives on this earth. Peter's saying, allow the humbling process. He's saying, just allow it. Give in to it. Let it take place. It's God's plan for you. It's purposeful. It's necessary. And don't resist it or struggle against it. Now, I think this is good counsel because whether we would admit it again or not, or even recognize it, oftentimes as human beings, we are pridefully fighting against trying to always stay in control of everything. And many times we're fighting against the process because by nature, we're a bunch of control freaks. And we got to have control because we feel scared if we don't have control. So we got to have control and be in control of our life and be in control of everything and take control of everything because somehow there's a sense of self-preservation in our spirit where we got to be in control, be in control. And in what we're doing, we're just fighting against everything that God intends for our life whereby he says to us ultimately, look, I care about you more than you can imagine. Would you let me have control? <laughs> And we many times resist and never allow this humbling process to happen. And Peter's reminding us, listen, God's hand is involved in everything that's happening in your life, whether you even realize it or not. His hand is involved in everything that's happening in your life, and he will productively use all things in your life circumstances many times to humble you for your own benefit. To break within every one of us our human spirit in good ways and perhaps recently maybe you sense this reality taking place in your life. A lot of times it takes place through things like just problems and difficulty. Many times it's through disappointments or our failures or painful times or pressures or hardships and God uses those life experiences to be the tools whereby on occasion his hand is involved efficiently using that to humble me, 
or to break your spirit and to, to bring your human spirit to a place of humility in a healthy way. And it's wise to recognize that God, by his mighty hand, is efficiently using all of life's experiences to humble us in a healthy way for our own benefit. And the Bible's saying, stop fighting against it. Stop, stop resisting it. Stop at times avoiding the pressure and trying to escape the challenges or, or stop trying to always regain control. Stop trying to do things whereby you're forcing your way back into what you want because it's not going the way you want so you're fighting against it and forcing your way to make it go back the way that you want it to go. God's saying here, listen, it's time to submit. Just surrender, he's saying. Let it go. Don't fight against it. Don't kick against the goads. God's process is happening and it's really for your own benefit. It's for your benefit circumstantially. It's for your benefit spiritually. And if you're not a Christian this morning, I would tell you this. It is for your benefit eternally. Eternally. That God would bring you to a place of humble submission because the truth of the matter is our pride often stands in the way of so much of what God wants to do in our lives. So many times it is our pride that is something that needs to be purged out of us in order for God then to pour his grace into us the way that he wants to. And God many times is uprooting the poisonous weeds of pride in our heart so that he can prepare the soil of our heart to plant his humility within us so that we then can experience his grace in our lives in a healthy way. Because I don't personally think it is possible my own conviction, to produce humility in your own character. I think that is something that happens as the Spirit of God works in the child of God and it produces the meekness and the humility of Christ. I don't think we can produce humility in our spirit. However, I think the Bible says we can humble ourselves and allow ourselves to be humbled, whereby the process of God humbling us lets him then work in our lives in a way whereby his Spirit can put forth humility into us and prepare us to be a recipient of his grace so that he can do the things that he wants to do. James 4.10 says, humble yourself in the sight of the Lord and he will lift you up. See, when we come to that place of humbling ourselves before God, he promises that there's a blessing in store for that. There's something that's a benefit to us. When he sees you let go, when he sees me give up and give in, he says, all right, now we're making progress. Because now as you're humbling yourself and letting yourself be humbled, I can begin to do what I desire to do. And notice in verse 6 that God in his love and wisdom has a great purpose ultimately. It says, so that he may exalt you in due time. Listen this morning. God wants to exalt you. God wants to lift you up into better things for your life than you can accomplish for yourself. And a lot of times God maybe can't exalt us because our own pride is standing in the way. Sometimes God can't lift us up to the thing that he has in store for us in life or work or ministry because we won't allow ourselves to be humbled. I love how the language reads, it says that he may exalt you. In other words, he's saying something has to happen so that he may do what he wants to do. Humble yourself, it says, so that he may exalt you in due time. Notice, in due time, that's the whole point there. There's a season and a time in which things happen. And we, unfortunately, if we're not careful, the Bible's saying we can delay the process by resisting the humbling process. And it's impossible to avoid the processes that God uses in our lives. 
We may try and cut corners, go around the barn, skip out, but listen, you can't avoid the processes of God. God works in ways that are wise and helpful, and in spiritual life, the way up is down. And many times, God will not allow us to experience what he intends for us until he knows our heart is ready and receptive for us. So potentially recently, you've been experiencing in your own life, maybe you feel like you've been in a season where you can sense, man, I feel like this humbling process has been happening. I feel like the Lord's really been humbling me. And that comes at times with struggle and, and maybe some personal humiliation that we don't enjoy and having to deal with some things in our lives that are often associated with allowing ourselves to be humbled. Well, God gives us here practical counsel now in verse 7 how to begin to let ourselves be humbled. He says, by casting all your care upon him, for he cares for you. So how do we humble ourselves or allow ourselves to be humbled? Well, the Bible says it starts with two things here in verse 7. Realizing God's love and then just relinquishing things over to him that are concerning us. He says, to cast all your cares. That word cares means anxieties or things with con that concern you. And would you agree? There are lots of things in this life that we can all be concerned about. Right? We're concerned about our health. We're concerned about things with our job. We're concerned about our children. We're concerned about our marriage. We're concerned about all the... And, and we have all these things in life and responsibilities. We have lots of reasons to be concerned and lots of things to be concerned about. And then when there's difficulties and challenges, that just stimulates the anxiety and the concerns and the responsibilities. So what do we do with all those things? What do we do with all those things that are concerning us and all the cares that we have in our lives? Well, because we're innately proud, typically what we do with our concerns because of our innate proud condition is we try and handle and take care of everything ourselves. So we buckle down and just determine, hey, uh, you know, I'm going to be diligent and I'm going to spin my little human wheels and you know, break up as much dirt and dust as I need to and I will plow that sludge forward and I'm going to muscle through this and I'll figure it out and I'm not going to die. And we you know, spin our wheels in human self-preservation and the energy of our own ideas and our human effort because we're going to make it all work out. And you know why? Because we want to be proud of how responsible we are. We want to be proud of how much I care. Nobody else cares, but I care. And I'm going to show that I care by worrying and working myself to the bone. And I'm going to make... And, and we want to be proud of how responsible we are. Listen, I think it's a wonderful thing to care a lot. The challenge is, is a lot of times people who care the most sometimes actually end up being the most proud because they care so much, they try and carry so much. And it almost becomes counterproductive whereby they then begin to work in such a way with their life where they try and carry everything and God's giving us counsel saying, whoa, 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 that's counterproductive. You're facilitating more pride in your life and you're going to make me resist you more and you're missing out the grace of God helping you if you would be willing to humble yourself. So he says, how do we humble ourselves? Well, he says, first of all, learn to realize and recognize God's love for you. You should underline those four words in verse 7. It says, He cares for you. Look, this is the first step towards humbling yourself. Recognizing God cares for you. Maybe nobody else 
in your life has really cared for you before. Maybe you feel like nobody else does care about you and that's the thing that keeps you on the path that you're on thinking, well, I, if nobody else cares, who's going to care? i got to care and i got to care about my... Listen, God cares for you. God loves you. He cares about every detail of your life and, and He's concerned about everything in your life and it's important to recognize that and understand that reality because that will directly affect how you relate to God. And it also will directly affect how you handle your problems and concerns that we all go through. Because if you don't believe that God cares for you, then you will try and muscle your way through this life with stress and striving and anxiety because it's all up to you, right? But if you by faith humbly accept the reality and start believing, He cares for you. He loves you. He's concerned about everything in your life. When you come to accept that, everything changes direction all of a sudden. Because now all of a sudden you go, yes, I've got lots of concerns and things to care about, but God cares about me so much. He'll help carry the load. He'll take care of things because God cares about me. There's someone who cares about me that's there for me, that wants to help me. And Peter says, this is the thing. We have to first realize he cares for us. And it's out of realizing he cares for us that we can then, he says, relinquish. That's the second part. Relinquish all our concerns and cares over to him. He says, casting all your care upon him because he cares for you. That word cast there literally could be translated to take a burden off and to put it on someone else. Wouldn't that feel good? You ever carry something heavy for a while and you're about exhausted, a heavy backpack or your arms, and to be able to find, hey, hey, can I, can I take that from you? <sighs> and and you, you finally let it off? Well, that's what people are doing with their cares in life and their concerns. How's this going to work out? And what about that? And what about this? And, and we carry all that mentally and emotionally and spiritually and we, we keep it on our shoulders. And, and, and he's saying, listen, that burden and weight, God cares about you. Would you let him carry it for you? Give him the privilege of showing his love to you. Give him the opportunity to show you how much he cares by letting him carry the load that is crippling you. Deposit all your worries and problems with him, the Bible's telling us. You know, F.B. Meyer said this in regard to this portion of scripture. It's great. Listen to what he said. He said, treat your cares as your sins. Hand them over to Jesus one by one as they occur. That's great. You want to give Jesus our sins, but he says, try treating your cares like your sins. When you sin, you bring it to Jesus. He says, what are your cares, your concerns, your worry? He says, give them to Jesus too. He cares about you. Roll that off onto his broad and strong shoulders. Peter, no doubt here, is saying this in connection to Psalm 55, where there the Bible says, cast your burden on the Lord and he will sustain you. Cast your burden on the Lord. I love how he says here, cast all your care. Not just one or two things and hold on to what you think you still need to. Cast all your care upon him. Everything, just give it over to the Lord. Hey, in what way this morning, maybe, in what way this morning is God asking you to set aside your pride and to humble yourself and to just submit something to him. What way is God saying, listen, let's be done with this. Let's set aside your pride. Let's humble yourself and just submit it over to me. Turn it over. Let it go. I care about you. I, I can handle it. I'll take care of it for you. 
And if you're here this morning and you're not yet following Jesus, can I encourage you to please know the first step in deciding to follow him is setting aside your own pride and being willing to humbly come to him in faith and submission. It's going to take humbling yourself as a human being and admitting you're a sinner and that you don't deserve heaven, that you deserve hell. But you understand that God loves you and paid a price through the blood of his Jesus Christ's son to make you have forgiveness and eternal life. It's going to take humbling yourself to be willing to say, you know what, I will let go of control and see how it works when I let God rule over my life. But I tell you this, if you come to the Lord and humble yourself to accept his love and accept his plan and embrace and receive what he has to offer, I tell you this, it'd be the best thing you've ever done. The load of bricks you've been carrying for years of the guilt of your own sin will be taken off your shoulders and life will have a transitional turn in a way like you could have never, ever imagined.